Good morning, everyone. I'd like to welcome you to today's Town Franchise Simply Teleconference. Uh, really privileged to have Nick Cowley with us. Nick is um, a delightful individual. Uh, him and his wife, Alexandra, and their young child, uh, Amelia, um, uh, a, a lovely couple. And uh, Nick has practiced in this area that he's working with mindset for a long period of time. He, he's, got, he's developed the seven-minute mindset, which is basically his older 17 years he spent um, uh, researching in the area, um, looking for some significant answers for questions he had. And what the seven-minute mindset does is shows, really illustrates why most people fail to achieve what they really want. Um, it really is a brilliant process. Um, I've been through it in some detail myself. And what we'll be going through is uh, a bit of Nick's background, and then he'll be giving us a bit of an overview as to what we can do to help address these issues, which, uh, from my point of view, don't kid yourself, everybody has these issues one way or another in different levels and so forth at different times. So what I'd like to do is to uh, ask, uh, introduce Nick and ask him to um, perhaps give a little, little quick uh, bio of his own background. Um, so here we are. Nick, w welcome and uh, please give us a little bit of your background. I'd love to hear it from you. Oh, hi, Brian. Thanks for having me today. I really um, appreciate the opportunity to come and uh, talk to everyone. As you know, I'm a big fan of what you do, having uh, really enjoyed your workshop and um, I'm very much looking to franchise my own business in the near future, as uh, we've had plenty of conversations about. In terms of my background, uh, what, I, what I do these days is um, I'm considered uh, Australia's super fast mindset change expert which is really quite cool for me considering the journey I've taken in my life to arrive at that point. I, um, if I just take a moment and kind of take everyone back to when I was probably around about 13, I suppose. I, you know, usually 13 is kind of just studying out in high school and uh, I was not what you'd call the king of the school back then. I, um, I was lucky enough to have really badly bucked teeth which meant I had to have braces for years, and uh, we we thought I had a problem with my eyes, so my parents took me off to the optometrist, and I was prescribed uh, Coke bottle-thick glasses, and I actually didn't need those after all, so suffered quite a bit of ridicule through high school. Also had a, quite a battle with acne, and I had a, a terrible haircut. Um, and often when, <laughs> when when I'm teaching my own seminars and I tell this story, I usually finish it up by saying, so I was ridiculously attractive. You know, if you can get that picture in your mind, that's, that's about the least attractive 13-year-old you can imagine. And to top it all off, I was taller and skinnier than everybody else in my year. So I really stood out, and for all the wrong reasons. I, one thing I did have going for me, though, is I was quite cluey, even at 13. And I figured out quite quickly that if I, I have no looks, which is you know, definite, and my family was not doing terribly well financially, so we had no money, the only way that I was ever going to get ahead in life was to understand people. So I, I kind of dived head into studying subjects like body language and marketing and psychology from a really young age. And that um, is really what kind of started me on the, on the path to uh, what I do these days. All right. Excellent. And then, and then from there, I suppose, your journey into, um, into the seven-minute mindset with your... Your working background. I you spent a bit of time in China. Was that right? I did. Yeah. I when I left um, high school, 
I decided that I'd go off to university and, and study Chinese medicine. So that's what I thought my career was going to be. I thought I was going to be an acupuncturist and a Chinese herbal medicine practitioner. And uh, I was very, very effective as an acupuncturist. I specialised in treating um, children, a specialist in paediatrics, and uh, even to the point where I went off and, and uh, worked in a hospital in Beijing as an intern for a number of months, which was really quite exciting. And what I found, though, is that when I, I came back to Australia and I set up my own clinic, um, I significantly struggled to make any kind of serious income. I actually never made, I, I wouldn't tell people this for years, but I never made over $16,000 a year as an acupuncturist, and that's not profit, that's total income, which is just, it's shocking, you know, you can't live on that. Wow. And as a result, I, um, I, I lived with my parents until I was about 27 years old, when I finally learned some things that would allow me to change my mindset and create the business that I'm in now. But probably the biggest turning point for me in my life was the day after I turned 21. And I know you and I have had a conversation about this in the past. I turned 21 and the day after, through a series of uh, unfortunate events, I was actually held up at gunpoint by three young guys in Parramatta, um, just west of Sydney. Wow. So there I was, just turned 21, you know, feeling like I'm on top of the world, finally become a man, and all of a sudden three guys walk up and put a gun against my head and threaten to pull the trigger, and and that just my world collapsed. I actually ended up ended up with post-traumatic stress disorder, and I suffered with that for uh, five years. So so up until I was 26, I was basically too scared to go out after dark. Um, I'd never walk down a side street if I had to go somewhere. I'd always walk down the main road, which can add hours to your journey sometimes, you know. And it was really a really limiting way to live my life. And uh, eventually I, um, I stumbled across a couple of workshops. And while sitting at one of these workshops, uh, you know, personal development type, type workshops with a couple of really, um, really kind of peppy American ladies who were mother and daughter team, they said that the next technique they were going to demonstrate would completely eliminate post-traumatic stress disorder in around about five to seven minutes. And I had I, I, my heart immediately started to go 100 miles an hour <laughs> when they said that because I thought, mm. I'd love to be the person up on stage doing this demonstration, but it's really it's petrifying. And they must have picked up on that because they did pull me up out of the audience and in front of about 100 people, uh, I went through this process and they, seven minutes later I could not find a trace of that post-traumatic stress disorder inside me at all. And that yeah. blew me away and that, that was the point where I decided I've got to learn everything I possibly can about how this stuff works. So um, I spent uh, quite a long time studying and eventually uh, ended up in the business that I'm running now. Fantastic. Well, that's a, that's a, you have certainly had an interesting early life, and uh, I think that a lot of us can relate to the, the teenage feelings. They're tough years, those teens, aren't they? And uh, uh, looking back on them, it's so hard to reflect just how tough they were, but to appreciate the experiences and being held up at gunpoint, my goodness, um, yeah. So moving on from there then, you developed your own programs and your own business um, doing this particular, these particular processes to help other people. Yes, that's right, yep. Okay, all right. So, fine, you've been along to a workshop, you'd experienced it where someone did it to you, which is an extraordinary opportunity, pretty unique to, to experience that. So, how did you get on from the point of view of 
getting your system developed to prove that it worked. In other words, you know, I suppose test and measuring and uh, making sure that what you developed was going to affect people and, uh, and I suppose at the end of the day create um, a business for you, something you wanted to do but also obviously something that's going to give you more than 16000 a year. Yeah, I mean, it was a really interesting journey. I, I had no no money really to invest in uh, any kind of training that would help me get there. So what I did is I took the training I'd already received and the, and the years, that by that point in time, it was probably about 13 or 14 years that I'd spent studying uh, science and psychology of, you know, how is it that, that we're actually made, what makes our brain work the way it does, why do we do the things that we do, and all these kind of things. And I basically just went on a, on a quest to study the best in the world that I could find in the areas of science, psychology, um, suggestion, including things like hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming and a bunch of other techniques like that, health and wealth and influence, persuasion, anything that I could get my hands on that I thought would help me understand people better and why some people... The, the, the burning question that really drove me, I suppose, was why do some people fail miserably and only a few ever really seem to achieve real lasting success and that that really drove me to the point where I spent the greater part of my life trying to find patterns that no one else had seen and over the years I refined my analysis of those patterns into what's turned out these days to be 100% predictable blueprints for failure and success that I've then gone and written a book on and systemized into workshops and those kind of things but really, you know, theory is one thing, and if you can't back it up with real-world results, then theory is not terribly good in my opinion. And I know that you agree. We've had conversations about that in the past um, when it comes to franchising. Yeah, there's plenty of armchair experts out there, but unless you're in the trenches, you, you, really the, the advice is not, um, not worth a, a dime a dozen. So I tested it on myself. I thought if... If I'm going to prove to other people and to myself that what I've discovered works, then who better to be a guinea pig than me? So I used my skills to change my own blueprints from failure to success. And I really started at the two points where I had the most pain in my life, which were dating and money. So I had a lot of hang-ups <laughs> due to, my, uh, <laughs> due to how, how attractive I felt I was as a teenager uh, with the braces and the acne and all those kind of things. I, I grew up feeling I wasn't a particularly good-looking lad. And I've already mentioned my parents didn't have a lot of money. So I, you know, after changing the subconscious blockages that were established at a young age around those two biggest areas in my life, I went from being desperately single to marrying my gorgeous wife. I'm sure you'd agree she's gorgeous, Brian. She is. She's, she's, a, she's, a, she's, a, lo she's a, lov a, lovely, a lovely lady. And uh, certainly being an ex-ballerina, uh, you can imagine she's uh, she's got the uh, got the figure to match. So uh, yeah, they make a lovely couple. And Alex, and sorry, and uh, and Nick certainly uh, his looks have improved dramatically. He's actually they strike quite a handsome couple. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Much appreciated. <laughs> so I uh, I actually learned so much about um, what makes someone attracted to someone else by understanding the psychology that I, I ended up actually teaching that to people. I became so successful in being able to just walk up to someone that I'd never met and start a conversation and have that, uh, if I wanted to, turn into a relationship that um, other, it started off with just my friends. Other friends of mine would come and say, you know, how on earth are you doing this? Because I have that ability to see those patterns and then turn it into something that's reproducible that anyone can apply. 
I actually started teaching my friends and then the word spread and all of a sudden I'm teaching other people how to find and meet a partner. Um, and around about the same time, Alex and I went from living in a tiny, mouldy little studio apartment about the size of a cupboard um, to, to buying a beautiful handcrafted log cabin in the Blue Mountains west of Sydney. And we've taken the next step up from there about nine or ten months ago. We now live in a, a beautiful lakeside apartment on the Gold Coast. Uh, and we're not the kind of people who like to kind of rest on our laurels. We've just decided to sell everything and uh, take off on a 12-month round-the-world teaching tour. So yeah. our lives have changed significantly. Mm. Um, financially speaking, from $16,000 a year as an acupuncturist, struggling you know, beyond all belief, um, using the skills that I have to reproduce models of success and test it out on myself, I was able to... Last year, produced uh, just under $140,000 in six days, doing what I love, which is teaching uh, people how to rapidly improve their mindset. And Alex and I basically took the next year to year and a half off to uh, play with our baby. So as a result of testing this out on myself, I'm, I'm internationally renowned now as an author, a speaker, and a super fast mindset change expert. It's been quite a quite a roller coaster ride. All right. Well, let's let's getting down to the meat and potatoes then. Perhaps for our, for our listeners, um, you can run through a little bit of uh, an explanation about what's involved here and how we can all, I suppose, get an understanding and perhaps improve our circumstances, take advantage of the knowledge and the the years that you put into it without having a gun held to our head. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with an explanation, <laughs> not under yeah. duress. Please, you understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> if you can avoid the gun to the head, I highly recommend it. <laughs> what I've found over the years is that there's really three main, uh, I suppose I'll call them skills, three main attributes that you need in order to be able to become successful in anything that you like as fast as you like. And I term them mental acuity, which is uh, as science teaches how, how you function physically and how to fine-tune your mental capabilities. Because uh, we, we all have, I believe it was Einstein who said everyone has um, the capacity for genius, which I think is really quite brilliant. So if you imagine that you've got a car, you keep that car finely tuned so that it runs perfectly. You take it to the mechanic when it, when it needs a tune-up and you, know, you replace the bits and pieces that need to be replaced. Well, we can't replace the bits and pieces in our brain, but we can definitely do things that will fine-tune our mental capabilities so that we become capable of more and it's actually very easy to do. Once you've done that, the next step is uh, what I call strategic thinking, which is uh, understanding the psychology behind why you do what you do and how to do it better. So I like to keep things very, very simple. And to come up with, um, well, not to come up with, but I suppose to, in the journey of discovering how all of this fit together, I've studied things like evolutionary and behavioral psychology, which is how our, our current way of thinking developed and then how that influences the results we get in our lives. And I've fused it with what I've learned from Eastern philosophy. Um, I've, I've done a lot of martial arts training. And then on top of that, marketing and neuromarketing and, and social dynamics and a whole bunch of things all go into being able to think strategically to produce the results that you want to produce in a fraction of the time that it would have taken you without those skills. And the underlying foundation of all of this is what I call emotional resilience, which uh, is effectively how to be in control of your emotions so that you can feel what you want to feel to the extent that you want to feel it 
whenever you want to feel it for as long as you want to feel it and how to put yourself into those emotional states anytime you choose using um, language and suggestion. So that's that's pretty much the foundations of the system that I've built. Ah, there was a, earlier when you were talking, there was an acronym that slipped in there, which would just perhaps clarify for any listeners. You you refer to TCM. Oh yes, thank you very much. You know, sometimes you play used to the jargon. You forget yeah, yeah. they have dangerous things, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Useful. But uh, TCM stands for Traditional Chinese Medicine. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's the that's the training from uh, university where I learned how to recognize patterns because that's the diagnostic system that you're taught um, as an acupuncturist. Ah, okay, all right. Why wouldn't I have known that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so um, that's that's, a, that's fascinating stuff. So when we're talking to that, these um, these systems you're referring to, you know, I mean, what, what sort of impact do they have on on people? What can you anticipate? Is going to happen if you if you um, if you if you follow this process successfully. Well, I think the best way to answer that is um, to mention the tagline of my book. Well, I put a lot of thought into into the the title and the tagline of the book. So the book's called the Seven Minute Mindset. And it's all about rapid mindset change, and the tagline is how to eliminate fear, procrastination, and failure in seven minutes or less. So on the surface, you, you get that, right? So you learn how to eliminate fear, procrastination, and failure. Uh, but it's really much more than that because what I can't put in the tagline is that failure in my system, I've actually created an acronym out of the word failure. And you'll know this because uh, you, you mentioned that you watched the video training I put out mm. not long ago. I've, um, I like to make things really easy for people to grasp. So I've used the words failure and its opposite, success, and I've turned them both into acronyms. So I refer to um, the, the seven letters of failure as being the seven habits of failure, and, and that's because I've discovered that with 100% accuracy, whenever someone fails, one of these seven patterns is the underlying cause. So when I, you know, I've, spent, I've spent roughly 17 years studying thousands of people, and what I've found is that, that most people who try and become successful study success, and they don't study failure. And the good thing about mm. that, you know, if you want to study people who fail, is that there's a lot more of them. <laughs> They're a lot easier to find, and it's actually a lot easier to find the patterns that cause someone to fail, and then do the opposite of that. So, um, you know, there's some conventional wisdom out there, which is uh, you should you should do the opposite of whatever the the mass of people are doing. Well, I figured if most people are not achieving the success that they want, it's a very good idea to understand why, so that I know how to not do that. And um, effectively, what I've discovered is that it takes only one of the seven habits of failure for someone to fail, whereas the seven uh, essential characteristics of success, someone actually needs to implement all seven of those in their life in order to achieve success. And if someone does that successfully, I'm happy to go through those in a moment, if someone goes through the, uh, if someone implements those successfully in their life, you'd actually have to try to be unsuccessful. I appreciate that. And what impressed me, um, Nick, in running through your material, and as you say, we've, we've chatted over a long period of time, is you don't, you're not big on these huge, massive, sort of way out dolls, these, uh, these, these huge sort of BHAGs that are, uh, just take over the world sort of, um, sort of objectives. Um, 
that's something I think you might refer to. Don't let me interrupt you. Carry on with the explanation of your failure acronym, I think. If you would, that would never help. Yeah. I hope you're writing this down. I'm I'm talking a few notes here, and uh, (laughs) I'd really suggest that any of you, we'll give you some information at at the end, actually, where you can access some more material, but um, writing it down as well as listening certainly aids aids the memory, Um, so please, I do suggest you write it down. So, yeah, please carry on there. Well, it's a really good point that you mentioned that thing about those those kind of uh, goals that a lot of people out there rec- recommend that people set about, you know, I want to become a millionaire by this time next week and I want to take over the world and become president of the United States. And, and I'm exaggerating a bit here, obviously, but that's the kind of thing that I find people get, get recommended at um, what I can only really describe as, uh, as these workshops that are run on the cult of personality and it's it's kind of like I heard someone... Uh, someone very close to me referred to it as uh, the weekend wind-up, you know, where they get you in the room and make you feel great, and then when you leave and you go to actually six months down the track, nothing's really changed. And given that I'm also in the personal development field, I, I wanted to make sure I wasn't um, tarred by the same brush because I really dislike that kind of thing. In my mm. personal life, I'm, I'm incredibly pragmatic. If something doesn't get a result, then I'm just not interested in it. So when I say these are the seven habits of failure, I put myself behind that 100%. I believe that if any one of these seven habits that I'll go through now is present in someone's life, then it becomes very, very difficult to achieve the results that they want to achieve. So we'll go through them one at a time. Mm, F stands for fear. And the thing about fear is that it's the single most powerful emotion that humans feel because it's the only emotion that has its own unique memory bank in the, in the mind. And not many people know this, actually, if you haven't studied uh, the anatomy and physiology of the brain. There's a part of your brain called the amygdala, and its job is to generate, uh, register, and store fear. And all other emotions kind of get stored in, in what I call just the communal emotional storage facility. You know, they all just kind of, kind of float around in there together. But anytime you experience fear, it gets stored in this one place. And when I learned that single piece of information, that really opened my eyes as to the power of fear in our lives and why fear tends to come up over and over and over again for people. And it, it really is the, the number one thing that stops people from being successful. So learning strategies to either completely eliminate the fear or at minimum be able to manage the fear so that you can take action anyway. That's the title of that great book, uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. You know, I often refer to that jokingly as the best book I've never read. I read the title and thought, um, that makes sense, you know, so I'll just apply that. Fear is the, the biggest limitation that people have in their lives. In, uh, in my system, A, the, the second habit of failure, A stands for attention displacement. And what that means is that you only have a certain amount of attention you can apply to anything. Displacement means that something is in the wrong place. So attention right. displacement and I don't know, Brian, I still sometimes get this one in my own life. Tell me if you do as well. You ever find that you need to be working on an email or a document for a client or you know, perhaps a sales letter or some kind of marketing material, but instead you find yourself making a cup of tea or checking Facebook or spending a little bit too long having a chat with your wonderful wife when you know you should actually be in the office you know, getting the task done? Yeah, convenient excuse, distraction, Whatever it might be, yeah, yeah, I understand exactly. (laughs) 
That's what I refer to as attention displacement. Yeah. And the great news about it is that it's very easy to overcome once you, um, once you know how. And one of the, the things that really leads on from that, from having your attention on the wrong thing at the wrong time, is uh, I, in the acronym failure, I is indecision. Mm. Now, there was... Um, I actually have no idea if this study really existed or not, but there is a, a quite a, a common thing mentioned by a lot of people that there was a study conducted by uh, Harvard University over a 20 or so year period on uh, goal setting and decisiveness. And what they apparently found is that successful people make decisions quickly and unsuccessful people make decisions slowly but change them very quickly once they've made them. So in other words, they're always changing their mind where successful people can stick to something. And I found that quite fascinating. When I couldn't find any actual references for the, for the study, I thought I'd look to history. And being a student of, uh, of martial arts, uh, the first place that I'll often go to is uh, either old Buddhist texts or old samurai training manuals. I'm a little bit, little bit curious in those ways. <laughs> and one of, the things that, <laughs> one of the things that I found in um, a, a really, really old samurai training manual was a line... Uh, where an old, an old samurai master was passing on his wisdom to a younger samurai, and this line really caught my attention when he said, every decision should be made within the space of seven breaths. And I thought that was fantastic, you know. So even if the Harvard study never really existed, we can still trace this back a thousand years and find that, that people who excelled in whatever area already understood the importance of making decisions and making decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's something that eats away like a cancer, isn't it? If you don't make a decision, that, that makes sense because the longer you defer it, the worse it gets, the more difficult it gets, and the harder it is to make a decision. Absolutely, yeah. It becomes a bit of a self, um, self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm, mm. And, and funnily enough, I find that most people who are indecisive are indecisive because of fear or because their attention is in the wrong place. So these seven habits of failure are very much interlinked. So that, you know, they're either afraid of the outcome of the decision or of not making the decision or they're putting their attention on what could go wrong instead of what could go right. So I've really found a lot of, um, of correlation and cross-linking between these seven habits of failure. They're very intertwined. L in the system stands for lack of action. And the easiest way to understand why this causes people to fail is uh, if you go to the gym, for example, and you decide that you want to get into shape and you pick up the weights, you lift them once and then put them down, you don't automatically have the body of your dreams. You have to consistently take action over a period of time in order to see any results. So, you know, no matter how great your idea is, and you've probably come across this with franchising, that people have come to you and you can immediately see that that is a multi-million dollar franchise opportunity and then they never take the next step. You know, that lack of action really stops them from actually getting anywhere. Have you, can anyone come to mind? Maybe don't name them, but. <laughs> oh, certainly. Look, it, it, yeah, frequently. Major, the vast majority of people, to be frank. Yeah. Um, because like, my view in businesses, most businesses have got the capacity, whether it's to grow or to franchise, it's the individuals are 20% of the issue. And these seven habits illustrate quite clearly why it is that people fall for these traps and don't achieve what they um, what, what they set out to. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a feeling that that would be the case. It's really cross-contextual. Everyone that I talk to, and, and I, as you know, I do I do this work with a lot of different businesses, 
And this is the case every single time. It just depends on finding which of the seven habits is uh, the most prevalent at the time. And there's often more than one, and there's almost always fear underlying whatever the others are. It's uh, absolutely fascinating. Now, you in, in my system is uh, the one that we were talking about before with those big, audacious, take-over-the-world type goals. This is what I yeah. call unrealistic expectations. And I, I was... Uh, I was speaking just the other day, I was flying down to Port Macquarie in New South Wales to do a couple of presentations on this um, for some business groups. And when talk, talking about unrealistic, unrealistic expectations, someone brought up the movie The Secret, which I've seen and actually I have a copy and I think it's a fantastic movie and very motivating. But the thing that, that really got me in that movie is that I think it goes for you know two and a half hours and it's all about set your mind on what you want and focus your intention and ask and you'll receive and all these kind of concepts that have become very, very popular. But there's only one person in that entire two and a half to three hour movie who says, and the you know, it takes him about three seconds to say this line, he says, well, you have to take some action. And I thought that was absolutely amazing. The rest <laughs> of the movie is setting up this huge unrealistic expectation that if you just sit, sit on your bum and visualize nice things, Stop thinking about debt, start thinking about wealth, that all of a sudden you're going to become a millionaire and you're going to meet the person of your dreams and all those kind of things, when realistically, if you don't get off your backside and actually take some action, nothing is going to change. So those unrealistic, unrealistic expectations underlying a lot of people's failures. Yeah, yeah, action, action, as you say. If you don't take action and you've got unrealistic expectations, you're just going to get a sore backside because you're going to be sitting there, basically, <laughs> gravity taking its effect. Okay. All right. So just to carry on with your um, with your acronym there, then. So you've got the U of failure is unrealistic expectations, and the R. What's that stand for, Nick? R stands for repeating patterns. And this, okay. in my experience, this is the one that is often hardest for people to identify because they maybe they haven't yet had the training in being able to discern exactly where these patterns came from and how they're playing out in their lives even though they experience the results. So if, for example, someone finds that they decide to start saving, so they save, 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 and then all of a sudden that money is just gone, you know, they reach a certain amount. Most people have a number. It might be 5000 it might be 2000 it might be 10000 As soon as they hit that amount in the savings account, it magically vanishes. So either they buy a flat-screen TV or another big bill comes in or, or you know, they crash their car, whatever it happens to be, it's a pattern that repeats over and over and over again. It doesn't have to be financial, though. It could be emotional, an emotional repeating pattern. For example, uh, they might have a certain person or, or group of people in their lives where any time they're around that person, uh, they feel very, very angry or maybe fearful or shameful or whatever it happens to be. Anything that repeats over and over again in your life with no obvious logical reason tends to be a subconscious program that was installed at an age before you were consciously able to make the decision not to accept it. Um, I'll just repeat that because that, that's actually... Yeah, really that, that gets quite profound, but it's also very, very illuminating, yeah. So I'll say that again. Right? Any repeating pattern that happens over and over again without an obvious logical reason was more than likely installed in your subconscious mind at an age before you were able to consciously decide whether you wanted to accept that or not. Bingo. And 
this it's, it's such a profound realization because it does a couple of things. One is it takes away the guilt, uh, and guilt is you know it's another um, another big problem that people face. But also it it gives you if you learn how to track these things back to their cause, it empowers you to actually identify the root cause of the repeating pattern and wipe it out at the cause. Because what I found is, is before people understand that these patterns are simply subconscious programs that get triggered at a certain point in time, they feel that there's nothing they can do about it. Once you understand that it's a subconscious program, and then using the techniques that I've either developed or refined over the years, you can actually trace it back to where it began. You can deal with it at that point in time by, uh, by using the power of your subconscious mind to heal itself, and then you release the need for that pattern to continue to repeat throughout the rest of your life. It's really quite life-changing. And to sum it up, right at the end we've got E, so the last letter in failure, and this stands for external negative influences. Now whereas the repeating patterns can be quite hard to identify, the external negative influences are often incredibly easy because uh, one of the questions I often ask when I'm teaching is, is there someone in your life or your family or a friend or something like that that you just refuse to tell your goals to? And a good 99% of people will raise their hand or say yes at that point, and when we get into that a little bit deeper, it's because that almost every single time it's because you know that if you say to that person, hey, look, I, let's, let's take franchising, for example. Now I've got a fantastic business and uh, I've been talking to Brian Keane, who's a franchise expert. I think I'm going to franchise my business. Well, that family member or friend is the, the kind of person who's going to come and throw the wet blanket over that idea and say, oh, you couldn't do that. What makes you think you could, you could be a franchisor? Gee, it's too expensive. It's too hard. What are you talking about? What makes you think you deserve that? And, you know, whatever else it happens to be. Um, it's almost always a pointless uh, kind of argument. But the fact that these things are being bombarded at us, you know, from every direction, and then we have uh, the media telling us that there's a global financial crisis going on and, and all these kind of things coming from outside of us directly impact the results that we can achieve if we choose to let them um, impact our, our thoughts and the decisions that we make and the actions that we take. So that's my seven habits of failure. And like I said, only one of those is needed for you to actually fail and not achieve the goals that you want in your life and business. Yeah, look, and each of those are absolute keys. I know I reflect, you know, um, in, in my late 60s and uh, been in business since my early 20s, had numerous businesses in different parts of the world. And I know from time to time I've been through cycles. And it's only recently I've actually recognized the patterns. And the issue of external negative influences is one that I see and have seen for years with people that maybe want to go into business, for example, just merely the fact they want to go into business. And you'll find that the opinionated Friends, advisors, family, they might be people who are jealous or they got, they sort of, they subscribe to the tall poppy syndrome, um, or they've heard of someone and had a bad experience. Uh, it happens often with professionals. You know, someone talks to their accountant and their accountant says, oh no, you shouldn't go into franchising, everyone loses their money. A perception, which may not be accurate, but which, because it comes from that particular first person that you feel may be daunted or intimidated by, Fair enough, you've got respect for them, but it means that you defer or you, you, you just don't proceed with that decision, um, which people often live to regret. Um, so this, these seven habits help you achieve the sorts of objectives that you've always wanted to achieve, which I think people who don't do it often look back, and this is well documented, at the end, towards the end of their life and say, I wish I'd done this. 
Um, so what we're saying is these seven habits of failure are what cause people to have these, you know, these disappointing outcomes in their own oh, lives, really. Um, absolutely. Yeah. So what what can we do to, um, you know, to overcome these things? And what's the what's the what's the answer from the point of view of what what you do and what techniques you may suggest? Well, the answer is um, to turn your attention from failure to success. And uh, I don't say that as a trite statement because I have uh, success is, an, is, is another acronym. Like I said, I like to teach things really simple. Um, and I find acronyms are a great teaching tool because they help people learn and remember. And everyone already understands that failure and success are opposites. So I thought I'd piggyback on the fact that we already understand that and use that as a teaching model. So what I'll do is I'll run through the, the seven essential characteristics that make up the blueprint for success that I've found by studying well over a thousand successful people over the last 17 years. Yeah. We always so, need... To, sorry, Brian. Yep, no, that's all right. No, carry on. Carry on. Not you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> carry on, In uh, what I've found, successful people in any area of life, whether it be personal or professional or business or career, whatever it happens to be, they always start with strategic planning. So that's the first S. Mm. Now, I refer to that in the context of um, taking control of your mindset as strategic mindset planning, which is understanding how your mind works and how to run it better and developing the ability to identify each of the seven habits of failure and how they're playing themselves out in your life at any particular point in time. So that's strategic mindset planning. It's how to be able to identify the particular habits or you know, one or more of the seven habits of failure that you want to be able to eliminate and then being able to, to choose what the appropriate response is going to be to either eliminate or manage that particular habit of failure. Which then brings us on to uh, step two, which is U, so S-U. U stands for unlearning. And this is effectively where we use the seven-minute mindset techniques to go directly into your subconscious mind using the, the language and the power of suggestion um, and a, a, a range of other techniques that I've perfected over the years, such as um, working with your emotions to, to be able to release emotional blockages in, in a shockingly short amount of time. So we unlearn whatever habit of failure is in our way of achieving success. So if it's fear, we trace the fear back to its core it's called and we resolve it so that it's never a problem again. If it's attention displacement, then we figure out the reason why we feel the need to procrastinate and put our attention on the wrong thing and then develop strategies to be able to focus in uh, like a laser on the specific thing that's going to allow us to achieve our goals. And we go on like this through each of the seven habits of failure, systematically eliminating them from our lives and our subconscious mind until we reach a point where we're not um, shackled by them anymore and then we usually just take off and like I said, you have to actually deliberately stop yourself from being successful once you've done that. So the first C in uh, success stands for comfort rezoning. Um, I, I actually believe that our comfort zone is, is kind of like um, a beautiful padded uh, prison cell where you have your own personal <laughs> butler. So, yes, it's the most comfortable place you'll ever be and, you know, you're weighted on hand and foot and it's a, it's a beautiful environment. But if any time you try and step out of that, you'll find that you're coming up against iron bars and a big fat lock. So what I've found practically is that um, 
the same as we had the unrealistic expectations, maybe it's unrealistic to just blast through those iron bars and they all of a sudden take over the world, right? And, uh, and I just don't, I just don't believe in pushing that kind of agenda on people where you, you make them believe that they can become anything that they want to be in, in um, you know, one day or something like that. But a lot of other people out there are teaching. What I say is you need to consistently and progressively rezone your comfort zone. So you need to just space it out and make it bigger and bigger, um, but do that stepwise so that you are, you are able to handle the level of discomfort at any particular point in time. Now, the reason that I've found this practically is because if you push someone too far outside of their comfort zone, the, the level of discomfort is so uncomfortable and so, uh, what's the word for it? It, it shakes people up so much and it creates so much fear that they snap, it's like an elastic or a bungee cord, you know, it snaps them so powerfully back into their comfort zone, uh, they often won't, won't venture outside again for a really long time. So by rezoning the comfort zone progressively, um, you, it, you make the change sustainable and that's really, really important. And the way to do that is the second C, which is consistent action which means that any time you're faced with the opportunity to take action, no matter how small, I say you should take it. Because just like the analogy we used before of going to the gym, if you go to the gym once and you lift the weights and then you know, pose in the mirror, you're not going to be terribly impressed with the results. But if you lift the weights, you know, you've got a personal trainer and you lift weights two to three times a week and you fix your diet and you get enough sleep and you do that for six months, you'll be amazed at the results that you achieve just by taking consistent action. Uh, where are we up to? S-U-C-C. That brings us to E, which I refer to as entrepreneurial thinking. And uh, there's a bit of a caveat on this one because sometimes we use the word entrepreneur and someone might actually be in a job. Now, I have no, no problem with a job. Um, I don't want one for myself, but I have no problem with, you know, some people just love working in a job and want their own, want to, want to build their career that way. I still think no matter if you work for yourself or if you work for someone else, you need to think like an entrepreneur. And what I mean by that is you need to have a focus on delivering value because if you don't decide that you're going to deliver value, then you'll end up just exchanging your time for money. And that's really the, you know, that's the path to nowhere. We need to be able to, to see what would be valuable to other people and then find a way to deliver that to them in the most efficient and effective way. And the degree to which you can do that will significantly determine how successful you become and how fast. And I'm sure you can think of countless examples of uh, franchises that do that really, really well. You know, their whole point is on delivering value. I think we actually talked about McDonald's once and you were saying how it's amazing that, um, that you know, such a multi-billion dollar company that's all over the world is run effectively by 14-year-olds. Because they've created that system so that delivers value in such a consistent way that they can actually have it systemized to the point where 14-year-olds run it. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? It is. It's extraordinary. Absolutely. Yeah. Then we move on to selective focus, which is the first of the last two S's in success. And selective focus is the exact opposite of attention displacement. Um, uh, when I was teaching in Port Macquarie the other day, I had a question about this and off the top of my head I came up with what I thought was quite a clever analogy which is if you were to, uh, you know, if you have a, a target that's uh, 50 metres away and, and you have a shotgun and you, you, know, you pump your shotgun 
and fire a shot at that target, you're going to end up with, with hundreds of little holes all over the target, right? So that's attention displacement. You might actually hit the target, but you hit it in random places, and you have no real control. You just have a general spray and pray ap approach and hope that you hit the target. The opposite of that, which is selective focus, would be to use a sniper rifle, in which case you, know, you could part the hair on the target if you, were, if you were so inclined, and you can hit any particular point that you want to because you've got that laser guiding you to where you want to go. So I give, you know, I give people the choice. What would you rather have in your life? Would you rather go after your goals with a shotgun or with a sniper rifle? And underlying the, the entire, um, the, the other six of the, the seven essential characteristics that make up success is the final S, and that's self-belief. So in the failure blueprint, I've mentioned that I find fear underlies every single one of the other six habits of failure. Well, when it comes to success, self-belief needs to underlie the other six uh, essentials for success because I've found if someone doesn't have self-belief, they can have the best strategic planning, they can release their limitations, they can grow their comfort zone, they can take action, they can be focused on value and they can be selectively focused on uh, achieving their goals. But if they don't believe that they actually deserve it, they'll still produce self-sabotaging behaviours and they won't achieve success. So you really do need all seven of these characteristics to achieve success. And once you've got them lined up in your life, you will literally have to deliberately stop yourself from becoming successful. Brilliant. Okay, so going from there, that's, that's all making a lot of sense. We're covering a lot of ground here. I hope it's not too heavy for everybody. Um, so we can appreciate it. If you can, if you can really sort of manage these techniques and so forth, it's going to help you enormously. You're going to really understand the way your business works, the way the people interact with you. Um, you're going to raise your level of I suppose, your influence and persuasibility, and you're going to be able to, I suppose, create a pattern yourself of success, of success so that um, moving forward with your life and your business, you're in a totally different space to what you've been in before. Um, in, in touching on that, you know, how long does it take to go through this seven-minute mindset? You say seven minutes, and then my mind immediately went, wow. Um, can you just explain a little bit about that as to, as to how one implements that? Well, yeah, that's a fantastic question, and that's the, the I get that question a lot, and that's really the reason why I chose to name the book The Seven Minute Mindset. Apart from the fact that I have got all of the techniques that I teach down to um, roughly seven minutes or less, I really wanted a title that made people sit up and pay attention and go, is that really possible? Um, because, you know, when you capture people's attention like that, then you have an opportunity to, to engage them and, uh, and help them make some changes in their life. So what I tell people is that I've packaged this entire process up into home study programs because I've found that people really like to learn at their own pace. Yep. Now, I can teach someone the fundamentals of my entire system so that they can perform these at an extremely high degree of proficiency in their own life in three days. And I do have, I have a three-day workshop where I run people through um, uh, this, and we start from, from the absolute zero, assuming that they have no knowledge of this before, and I explain everything in really easy, even though I understand the science and psychology, I explain it in everyday language because I find that if, uh, if you put the barrier in front of people of using technical language, 
then you're not doing them a service. So I just put it in everyday language. It's very conversational, you know, lots of questions and answers. And, and that's exactly how I teach in the home study programs as well. Because a lot of people like to study at home, um, I found it's really the fastest and easiest way was to just turn all of this into videos and audio programs and worksheets and manuals uh, and guided meditation type uh, MP3s and and uh, have an online personality profile and it's all it's, it's a nice cohesive system and I've made that all available online for people um, so that they can learn at their own own pace and become proficient at changing their own mindset in the comfort of their own home. Wow! Look, I, I know from my experience of speaking to people. Um, that have been involved in your programs, which is why I made the approach to you to become involved with what we do, um, that you, know, you get some great results from people and you've obviously had fantastic results yourself. Um, what, what's the one sort of key or technique? I'm, I'm moving away from secrets a bit these days. It tends to be a word that's a bit overused, but you know, perhaps that does cover um, you know, the, the technique, method, secret. What would you say is the, the key thing that makes your program successful, what you do um, you know, work for people? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Not not many people actually think to ask that one, so um, I really appreciate that one. Uh, appreciate that. The what I found, practically speaking, is that there's actually four four components that go into the way that I've designed this training that allow people to get uh, much better results much faster than many other approaches that I've seen. Uh, now, I'm not saying other approaches aren't good. Every everything has its place, in my opinion, or it wouldn't exist. But what I found, practically speaking, is that when a program meets these four criteria, it, people learning have a much uh, better uptake and much better results, you know, tw uh, three, six, 12 months down the track when you actually check in to see um, how they're going. So the first one is that the tr when, we, when we deliver this training, whether live or, or on the, um, the videos in the home study course, the training utilizes subconscious delivery systems using language of uh, psychology and suggestion to directly embed the learnings into your subconscious mind. Now, for wow. some people, they, they might be sitting there going, um, is that even possible? Yeah, it really is possible. If you've ever seen a stage hypnotist stand up and you know, tell someone, when I ring this bell, you're going to believe you're Michael Jackson and dance around or you'll forget your name or whatever it happens to be, that's, that looks like a dramatic demonstration up on stage, but really... That's just a simple suggestion that the, the hypnotist given the person to forget their name or dance like Michael Jackson and they've linked it to um, some kind of trigger which is the ringing of the bell or a specific piece of music and none of that actually matters if the person on the other end doesn't decide to accept the suggestion. So what uh -huh. I do is I, I'm, I'm trained in all those kind of skills and I use that training to make the suggestion to your subconscious mind that you can learn this easily and effortlessly without the need to really um, even pay attention if you don't want to, which really seems kind of counterintuitive. I'm a lazy student, and that sounds <laughs> very, very attractive. <laughs> well, I think um, you'd love the first session of one of my workshops, Brian, because it, I always get a good laugh out of this. I tell the students, because of the way that I teach this, even if you were to turn up and then lay on the floor and go to sleep for three days, you couldn't help but walk out changed because of the fact that I'm constantly using this language of suggestion to to uh, embed the learnings the whole time. It's really quite cool. Wow. This, I can't wait to get more involved in this. I can tell you it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's huge. Okay, carry on here. Sorry,
The second of the four techniques that we use to really dramatically increase the uptake for people is what I call multi-sensory stimulation. Now what this means is the more sensors you can involve in your learning, the faster you learn. There's a ton of scientific research behind this. They call it whole brain or whole body integrated learning. And what that means is that a certain percentage of the population learn incredibly well by looking at videos and reading information. Another percentage of the population learn by listening, so they would like the audios and, uh, and MP3s and music and all those kind of things. Another percentage of the population has to physically get in and hands-on, you know, go hands-on and actually apply something before they learn. And, uh, and a fourth part of the population can do any of those, any or a combination of those, and then they need to sit back and reflect on it. Now, those are the four different learning styles, um, and they're matched to our different senses, sight, hearing, um, sound, uh, hearing and sound, that's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> Good job. Sight, <laughs> hearing, um, actually getting in physical use in your body, or, or, or um, uh, you know, uh, analysing and, uh, and thinking about it afterwards. So I teach making sure that we are constantly um, impacting those four learning styles the whole time so that no one misses out and everyone gets every single point. The third key is what I call speed of implementation, which means you need to practice immediately. Um, it's been proven again by other scientific studies on learning and uptake that the faster you put something into practice after you've learned it, the more likely you are to remember and be able to utilise that afterwards. And we then link that together with the fourth, the fourth technique for um, accelerated learning, which is spaced repetition, whereby you need to go back and review on a periodic basis, even if that means that you just randomly listen to one of the audios or, the video, or watch the video or have a read through one of the manuals or something like that, you need to do that on, um, uh, on a, a nice, comfortable, spaced out kind of routine and it'll keep the information that you've stored in your mind fresh and it'll keep those nerve pathways firing so that you can access that information anytime you like. The other two things that we found work really well for people is delivering awesome follow-up support if they have any uh, any questions or comments or any challenges that they need, um, they can contact us over email and um, depending on the level that people get involved, we allow them to have access to our phone and Skype details. Um, so we really put the personal touch in when dealing with our clients because we found over the years that it really makes all the difference. All right. Now, just before we wrap up, because we're running out short of time now, but um, uh, just mentioned to people on the line there that I've managed to twist... Um, Nick's arm, and um, he's currently making an offer available for some some of this material that we can access uh, free. So, that, so we'll give you this information so you can actually start to understand a little bit more about it if this interests you, which I, I hope it does. It's, it's fascinating. And the key is to get a bit involved and start to understand it, and then you realise why it's so powerful. So just to just to run through a few last points I've got here, there's, there's your question that people have asked me to raise. So if you don't mind me asking a couple of these things, so one of the biggest sort of problems you help people overcome generally? The biggest one far and away is fear and right. uh, the second one is the, the second one's procrastination. So fear tends to show up in, in and I'll generalise here there's two main types of fear when I'm dealing with someone in business and that's either fear of failure which everyone can wrap their head around mm. um, but the one that is kind of insidious that most people don't realise is fear of success which sounds really sounds quite silly and kind of uh, counterintuitive but so many people are afraid 
that if they achieve success, then they're going to lose their friends or they won't have the acceptance mm. of their family or, you know, whatever else it happens to be. Um, yeah. And that actually holds them back. So fear is a huge one. And the second one is, by and large, procrastination. All right. Okay. And so, um, you know, if I want to subscribe to this program to get you know, to, to get the benefit of this, what, what do I need to have done before? Do I need to make preparation? Do I need to be in a particular state of mind or whatever, whatever? What's the, uh, what's the answer to that? Uh, basically, the, I've designed this so that it is uh, useful for people at no matter what level of experience or knowledge they are. So okay. the way that I've, uh, if you take the book, for example, um, and any of the videos or anything that I've put out, um, I know you've watched one of those videos, is I, I always cover the scientific and psychological information, but I make it easy to understand. And then I ensure that everything's said in plain language. So if there's any concepts that I have talked about, I'll explain exactly what it means so that anyone can understand it. So really, um, it doesn't matter if this is the very first time you've ever heard that you have a mindset and you can change it, you're in exactly the right place to, um, to get your teeth into this. Okay. And just before we wrap up, it's always good to hear some case studies. Have you got anything you can share with us of... Um sort of successes of much the many people you've worked with yeah, yeah actually we've, we've got you know hundreds or thousands really the one that um, that immediately springs to mind I don't really know why is uh, one of my clients came along to a workshop and she had two different issues and she thought they were unrelated one was uh, she could never break through a certain financial ceiling um, in a business and the other one was that uh, she was struggling with her weight. And what we found when working on each of these individually is that they both went back to the exact same thing, which is that her mother was uh, quite a successful international model when, when, um, when this lady was a young girl. And, uh, and her father would be the one controlling all the money and wouldn't let her mother get her hands on any of the money. You know, give her a little allowance and that was it because it was considered unladylike to know anything about money or to touch, touch the finances. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, yeah. and, and being that her mum was a model, it was women were supposed to be beautiful, you know, um, and that's pretty much it, you know, a trophy for the arm. And what was happening in this lady's life is that any time she started to become successful uh, in business, her weight would balloon out of control. So she'd take her attention off her business and back on getting her weight under control. And when she'd get her weight under control, her business would start to fail. And what we found is that she was struggling with the fear of loss of acceptance of her mother, that if she became successful, her mother would consider her unladylike. And if she then let her weight get out of control, a bit of a self-fulfilling cycle here, she'd lose her father's acceptance because she would no longer be an attractive woman. So uh, we resolved that for her. Again, that took, you know, seven to ten minutes. And uh, she was actually on the verge of filing for bankruptcy because this was playing itself out to such an extreme in her life. And two weeks after we did that, this lady went off and ran a workshop and uh, and sold a bunch of people into a coaching program and made $40,000 in two days. Wow. I'm sure we can draw analogies in all types of fields of that. Well, that, that's brilliant. So... Um, Perhaps you could just repeat for the, for the benefit of the listeners there what you think you can do to help people be more successful when they're franchising their business, Nick, because that's uh, obviously my, one of my main motives in, um, in, in building our, our, our liaison. Well, in terms of um, franchising, 
just like any any other business activity that you want to undertake, there's, you're going to come up against yourself, meaning that, and I'm sure listeners can, can identify with this, even if you've already decided that you want to franchise, there might still be some fear, or you find that you need to be writing your franchise documentation, but instead you are playing on Facebook or doing something else or putting out fires in your business, or uh, you're not capitalising on opportunities that you could to do more marketing or whatever it happens to be, at any point in the process from from idea through to uh, joining up with one of your programs, Brian, and then implementing, if you find that you come up against any of the seven habits of failure, the key thing to remember is that you're not alone. Thousands of other people have been through that in the past and there are easy and quick fixes to every single one of those problems and that's what I provide. Excellent. Okay, well, I'm really looking forward to this. I can, I can assure you. So, um, also now, um, so you'll be testing a lot of uh, occasion at our workshops, and our programs will become available to our members and so forth. So that's that's brilliant. So, helping people to sort of make sure they're not uh, sabotaging their plans is something I think is going to have a huge impact on people, way way beyond just the the fact that their business decisions and maybe they're franchising their business. So um, you mentioned to me there's some information that people can access. Can you give us the details of that? Yeah, the simplest things for people to do would be to go and check out the website, which is 7minutemindset.com. And it doesn't matter if you spell that, um, you know, if you type the number 7 or spell it out, it'll take you to the same place. So 7minutemindset.com. And what I've got available on that website is uh, the first chapter of the book, so people can get a taste for it and see if it's something they're interested in. There's also a 63-minute video that goes in detail in the things that we've been talking about here, about um, uh, why people fail and what to do about it. So we go through the success and the failure blueprints in detail on that video. Uh, and there's also a seven-minute uh, mind shift meditation on how to become uh, instantly confident and uh, uh, there's another interview that I've done with um, another gentleman a few years ago on how to identify and eliminate subconscious blockages to success. So that's all available for free right now on that website. And if that um, suits your inclination, feel free to check it out at 7minutemindset.com. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, I'll be sending an email out to everyone with this information for those who are listening live. And for people that are listening to this uh, subsequently, um, and if it maybe it's a bit down the track and this, this material is not still available because, uh, you know, websites have changed or contents changed, um, do contact us at How to Franchise Simply and we'll put you up to date with the latest links or, or, or information, etc. Well, what I'd like to do is to, is to wrap that up and just ask now, is there anyone there who's got any questions they'd like to ask of Nick? If you do have a question, just make your phone open, so press star six introduce yourself and uh, ask the question and I'm sure Nick would love the opportunity to answer it for you. So if anyone's got any questions, star six and say hi. Okay, if you're still fumbling with your phone, you've got the opportunity to interrupt and, and do that if you do have a question. I think we've covered a lot, so we've probably pretty much covered it up. So what I'd like to do is to wrap up the call and uh, on behalf of Adam Franchise Simply um, and everyone that's, that's listening, so I really appreciate, Nick, you generously making so much time available for us to share this. And uh, I hope everyone online here um, has, a, has a brilliant day. Um, I'm looking forward to working with Nick um, in our programs and in our workshops when he's available. 
And uh, Nick, I'll give you the opportunity of signing off. Thank you very much, Brian. I really appreciate the opportunity to come and, uh, and share with you and your, and your um, members today. I've uh, enjoyed every second of it, and I look forward to working more closely with you in the future, mate. Brilliant. Thanks very much, and bye, everybody. <laughs>